All right, Sheepdog Rest Stop number six with Brandon Hayes. Brandon, good to be here. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it is. Uh, thanks for having me here. Maddie and I are having a great time and a wonderful connection. I think we've been in data stream almost constantly. So this will be whatever long it is as a capture. And um, I hope our growing audience loves it. Um, if you don't know Brandon, I, I think you may have seen his post. Usually they are quite encyclopedic. Uh, he has a tendency to run with a topic as a lead, and then in the comments he'll actually source and, um, how do you call it, um, when you collect up? Curate. Curate, that's the term I was going for. You curate. Uh, your comments on there to kind of build out or flesh out uh, the central idea. That one of my leading questions to you was how did how did you come up with that, uh, and what purpose is it serving for your thought process? Uh, I, su I suppose what I try to do with the main posts is synthesize works of others into something coherent so that I understand it and then use the comments to support that synthesis mm -hmm. uh, or uh, offer complementary pieces that are evidence, evidence of the synthesis usefulness, essentially. I try to break things down so that, I mean, almost, so that almost anyone can understand them. I try to write posts as if you were sitting in my office and I was explaining something to you so that you could get uh, the value-added uh, action benefit of, of understanding something. Yeah. And I, I think that the, the sheepdog group and the, the, the proprietarian group are some of the most action-oriented humans I've, I've come across. And it just so happens I've come across them in cyberspace. Right, yeah. As opposed to in real life. Uh, you also will pull up an old post and add to it. How, you, you just do that through a search. You search that topic and you find your old post and then add to it. Because I've seen uh, a cycling of one-year-old posts that could come back. Maybe another news story was added to it. Yeah, I would say for the last like 18 months, there'll be things that I'll revisit. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, it's like structuring. It's like structuring chapters almost, mm -hmm. and then adding in the supporting material and it's easy when I come across something new to go oh this goes here yeah and then I search for the post and you also admin for the propertarianism.com site is that true uh, I add the add content the Facebook page the propertarian Institute okay. I add contact content okay. there which is mostly just sharing what Kurt posts because right. he posts so prolifically <laughs> totally um, so we've covered a lot of topics even before recording. Uh, what I would like to hear us get through today is hit some of the same topics uh, and specifically tailor our message to our sheepdog and proprietarian friends is what I'd like to do. Sure. Yeah. And um, I, I did this with Kurt as well, kind of we uh, did not wasn't the first half, but it was basically problems and solutions. And as we did that back and forth a couple times, it became clear of how well 
connected the problems are to the solutions that they're all you know all roads lead to Rome or sure yeah that kind of thing yeah it's 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 interesting to see so part of the synthesis that I do is the the overlapping of, of domains or arenas mm -hmm. all, all of the solutions a, as we move forward um, they, they have to unfurl in unison because if you, if you just attack one problem, and there are many, even if you attack it with the right fix, because there's a panoply of issues surrounding it, you, you, don't, actually, you don't actually solve for it. You just you, you push a symptom aside. It's like using a, a single symptom right. drug to, su right. su to suppress a, system that's, uh, a symptom that's part of an underlying disease or an underlying cause. And I, I feel like that's the, the situation we're in now. Not only that, but our our political climate only takes on one thing at a time. So I'm self-purported uh, a fan of Andrew Yang, but you, you, can't, you can't critique his universal basic income push alone, mm -hmm. because obviously if you apply universal basic income to the shitty system that we have now, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't just rectify the problems that we have. Right. It, it, in fact, it could exacerbate the problems that we have and make things worse. Uh, but, but the idea is that these things uh, ought to be enacted uh, all at one time. Mm. Uh, so we were we were saying last night uh, the, the way that I read Kurt's work, and I've been in, in the proprietarian circle for maybe uh, two years or so now, at least in a, a kind of a serious capacity. Is there's there's moral license for the the set of conservatives to take back what it is they feel is their um, what it is is, is their nation mm -hmm. to take that back by force and enforce right. and enforce rules it, there's become uh, it's ne it's necessary to do almost if it's not a moral license it's a moral imperative at right. this point right. if trends are to continue the same way that they're uh, trending now and I don't see any abatement of those trends. I don't see them curbing back. I see them speeding up, which only, which only increases the impetus for uh, the imperative itself, which is a, a terrifying notion if anyone looks at it in an objective, uh, in an objective fashion. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting to, when, when we listen to somebody, kind of want to know their background because we feel that the answers that they could provide and speak to usually come from what they've put their attention on or already developed a, sure. a degree of agency and mastery. So before we get too far into this, uh, I wanted to cover your background. The, you raise dogs, you breed dogs, dog breeder. Yep. And um, what you have learned from that. Can you account or recount again how you got into it? You found a market that part of the story. Sure. Uh, like how I structured my breeding program? Right. Uh, I got you determined it. what dog breed you wanted. I mean, you, you really hit it entrepreneurial. You went for the market sure. needs this, I'm going to provide this. Right. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll try not to get long-winded about it because it is uh, my business, but uh, the way I go about attempting to fix problems is to, to set an example in a, in a solution-directed uh, fashion. Yeah. So, 
I see every facet of the dog world as I see every facet of the human world as, as broken in some fashion or form. Uh, we don't breed for temperament anymore. We breed for looks and color and dogs that can win in shows and they don't do any work. And that doesn't speak to the robustness of the creature that we're dealing with, especially a creature that uh, co-evolved with man. Right. Uh, they're, they're, the most, they're the most similar creature to us because they evolved, they evolved with us and to work with us. Uh, they take cues from us more so than our closest genetic relatives. Like you can point somewhere and a dog will look where you're pointing. It's, <laughs> right. it's built into their it's built into their being. They read your face from excuse me, from right to left. It's called left gaze bias. Hmm. So they know you're more expressive on one side of your face, so that's the way they track your face. Wow. Uh, they read motion uh, they they, they detect motion about eight times better than we do, which is why they're good hunters. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why they can chase a ball even the same color as the grass and the grass and still find it right. uh, be, because the motion, the motion triggers their, their prey drives. So uh, I worked through shelters when I was younger, uh, saving, saving dogs, quote unquote, um, and realizing that most dogs that are put in shelters are just, they're, mis they're mishandled and then they're misdiagnosed as problems when they're not. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a, I suppose that's a double-edged sword because there are many there are many dogs that are serious problems that we uh, we consider retraining and rehoming them where, when the issues that they'll cause and the amount of work that needs to go into them doesn't it doesn't wash out. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it gives people who save dogs uh, a bad rap because you're not going to not going to retool an animal's psyche mm -hmm. in, in the fashion that you must. So the, the reason I chose the dogs that I breed, which are, they're, they're West, West German working line uh, shepherds. So they're the dogs that the police use. Um, the reason I breed them is because they're weather hardy. They have a double coat. They're okay in winter and in summer. Uh, they can be inside or outdoor dogs. They're intelligent. They, they want to work with you. Um, they have they have drives that you can co-opt into teaching them things. So they, they want to play with a ball or a toy. Um, they're they're food motivated, so you can co-opt their instincts. Mm -hmm. uh, you can teach them you can teach them almost you can teach them almost anything. I, I, almost anything like a three year old could learn. They can differentiate between objects, uh, all sorts of stuff. They are temperamentally sound. I mean, they don't, they don't take things as a personal slight. You can step on their foot and they don't bite you. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they'll, they'll, just, they'll just move aside. But they also, harbor, they also harbor that protective instinct and aggression. So I tell most people that if, if you're not looking for the pr protective side of a German Shepherd and the utility that comes with that, then you should get a lab <laughs> because there's, there's no reason to to deal with the, there's no reason to deal with that aggressive side of a dog if that's not what you're looking for in a dog. Right. Uh, so it's important to match the, the, the breed of dog and the temperament of a dog with your lifestyle, which is what I tried to push uh, forward in my breeding program. So I, I took what I found as, as essentially the best platform for a dog, and I, I picked that breed to, um, what is it? to be a, a flag bearer for dogs themselves. I breed and sell these dogs because this is what a dog should be like.
Right. Awesome. Cool. I thought that was pretty condensed. I want to add to that that you're also a wrestling coach. Yes. High agency. It's a martial sport. Um, can you connect the two? There's an overlap, obviously, sure. of training. Yeah. Yeah. Coaching and training are almost the same thing. Providing, providing reward for the, the proper responses and consequence for uh, what is the wrong ones. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the sport of wrestling, it, it translates almost directly to real life. Your, your physical toughness and mental toughness, they, it's like they run on the same circuitry. So when you become more robust to uh, physical adversity, mm -hmm. you, you become more robust to abstract adversity. Right. The skill set that comes uh, like in a wrestler's toolbox is translatable to almost it, its core athleticism. So it translates to almost every other sport. If you're a great, if you're a great wrestler, like you can play football. There, there are plenty of wrestlers that go in and, and they succeed at the national level mm -hmm. because they have good footwork, tackling ability, and uh, hand-eye coordination and strength. Uh, and balance, and those things are they're, they're useful across domains. They're useful across domains in sport. But they're also useful in work. I mean, mm -hmm. You do physical labor, like being strong, like a wrestler, is helpful for you. Uh, the the adversity is something that's missing from the the rearing of children. Now we give them what they want. They're in a uh, an environment of ease that I don't think is, is comparable to any other time. It, it, it softens them. Yeah, it's, it's beyond delayed gratification. It's into dealing with adversity mm -hmm. and uh, just the breakthroughs that you get in that. Well, it's, it's also, wrestling's also primal, so it's, it's me and you, and mm -hmm. uh, your, your job is to impose your physical will on someone else yeah. who's, who's trying to stop you. So, <laughs> or and impose their will yeah, on you. Exactly, yes, worse than that. Yes, they're Clash trying to impose wills. their will on you. Yeah. Uh, which is, I think, one of the reasons that wrestling is one of the, the better foundations for mixed martial arts is because it's, in, it's a competition and an imposition type of sport where a lot of martial arts are defensive in nature and are more go with the flow. So mm -hmm. a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys will have hard times rolling with wrestlers because they're they're more solid in their positions and they're not off balance. Hmm. So it's not like you can take out a post, like an arm post or a leg post and roll a wrestler. Hmm. They understand how to repost and move their body so that you can't roll them over. Hmm. Uh, which is why, at least over the last, uh, I, would, I would say decade or so, uh, wrestling foundations have, have dominated the, the MMA realm because they put their, their bodies through hell and they're willing to go in there and take a beating, you know, put you on the ground and ground and pound and win the fight. Right. Uh, next thing I'd like to ask is, what, uh, what do you like about propertarianism? What do I like about it? Uh, I, like the, I like the agency that it gifts if you can properly capture the, the frameworks. I like that it, it strips things down to um, 
to a, a coherent a coherent set of rules, and it doesn't it doesn't posit any oughts, mm. only mm -hmm. only ought nots. So yeah. you know you can't do these things, and that's uh, essentially the way that I structure most of my training in coaching. It's like you can attempt any move that you want. We don't do these these certain sets of behaviors because they get you in trouble in a match. And the same with dogs. It's like you can act in in certain ways, but you can't do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, and this the, power of via negativa. But it sets, it sets a landscape up of nearly infinite emergent possibilities mm -hmm. and, and limits what's bad. Right. It, to, to me, it's the move, especially in a landscape of chaos like we have now, where directional, uh, directionless and atomized. And because, because of that, and not only are we direction, directionless and atomized, where rewarded for being so and told that we're special for going our own way when really going your own way just gets you to be alone yeah. in the long run. Mm -hmm. and that's, it's not the message being sold by the proprietarians. It's we're in, this, we're in this together to fight back nature because that's what we've always done. Right, the and, red queen, mm -hmm. the encroaching entropy at all, all directions. So dovetailing that, then what do you find uh, interesting on the sheepdog group? What, what draws you to that, or because you participate a lot in both groups? There, the sheepdog people are. I, I respect and understand what Kurt does from the top down, mm -hmm. and I think that it's more than necessary to have a uh, a noble class, an aristocracy that a middle class looks up to. The middle class, the blue-collar people, are my people. My father was an entrepreneur and a welder. My yeah. grandfather was a restaurant owner. Uh, I, I run my own dog training business. It's it's the high agency middle that produces. Yeah. Exactly. And those are those are the people that have been um, they've been sucked dry over the the last few generations mm -hmm. due to parasitic taxing and, and business and economic practices. So the, the, reversal, the reversal of that comes from the middle understanding their role and how to not be taken advantage of, and that comes through high agency. Mm -hmm. I'm under, I've always been under the impression that time was my most valuable resource. So if I could save it or store it up in the future where my time wasn't occupied by something um, that needed a, attention, you know, someone telling me I needed to do a job or uh, anything like that. I wanted to be in, co in command of my life because I, if, if you're not, I don't think you can frame this pl the place properly enough for you to move through it in a, in a fashion that helps you and the people around you. Mm -hmm. I see the sheepdogs as uh, people who are, they're impossibly helpful uh, <laughs> if, if given the opportunity. Right. Yeah, you said something last night that was funny, but hit hit the number something like we have a half million hours of yeah, lifespan. Yeah, waking hours, waking roughly. Hours. Right. When when you put things in in stark in, in stark terms like that, people reevaluate what they do with their time, because five hundred thousand. I mean, you have it's. I think it's four hundred sixty-seven thousand and change waking hours <laughs> if you live yeah. till you're eighty. Toy, and, yeah. and that's a that's a full life. And mm -hmm. this 
hustle while you have the physical ability, wear your body out, and then retire type of uh, life cycle isn't, isn't one that suits us well. Uh, I want people to, it's not, about, it's not about seeking pleasure in your, say, 20s and 30s, but it is about getting things done. Yeah. Because it, it's, your, it's your time to get things done. You're, you're physically capable and able to get things done in that, in that, in that time frame. Mm-hmm. And not only that, you haven't, you haven't generated the wisdom of those generations that are older than you. you know, that people earn their places. Uh, I, I forget which cultures exactly do this, but you move through your life in stages, and uh, roughly like that, you mature, and then you do physical work, and then you move into administration, then you move into whatever it is, law or politics, or you, know, you, you move Governance. into the, yeah, mm-hmm. you move into positions of influence because you have the experience and the know-how to, mm-hmm. uh, what is it, organize labor and, and humans in a productive direction. That maybe the information age has disrupted that. You know, people can get access to the information earlier, or at least they think they do, but largely not the application of or the successful application in a variety of situations. Yeah, that seems like a, a plausibility for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, we've got some good background there. Um, so back now to the problems. Um, we've covered a lot, obviously, online. Um, it's almost, where do we start? Uh, <laughs> I mean, we could take a hot button uh, topic. How about the video we're talking about? Boomers. Oh yeah, uh, self. Self. Uh, one one thing I want to mention, which we we talked about last night, is that if you don't see uh, a thirteen year old child explaining the world to you and how um, how much it truly resembles the clown world mm-hmm. that is expressed online and how that's a burden that a child shouldn't have to carry and you and you shouldn't be illuminated by someone who's in their who's a, a, a prepubescent teen right like, that's not your savior as long as we get that out of the way she's uh, she's on the money she's grabbed the counterculture of generation Z which is the the pushback against the boomers and the millennials, and they're realizing that the, the the chasing down of pleasures in the short terms in the short term leads to disaster in yeah. the long term, right. and how the the place is unraveling right in front of them. For someone to, I mean, she frames school as a prison and still goes to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, it's a it's a messed up it's a messed up situation. Uh, so. The boomers, I don't, I don't particularly like to blame generations for things because you can always go back to the generation that influenced them and then mm-hmm. that, the generation that influenced the, the generation previous to that and, and place blame where you, uh, where, you, where you feel it's necessary. But we've, we went off the rails sometime in the last, I don't know, few generations. Well, 100 years, likely. Yeah. 1900s was likely peak, peak America. That seems seems about right. 
right mm-hmm. to about 1910. 1913 was that catalyst of the Federal Reserve that... Mm-hmm. We came into, um, I think, the, the disaster and the trends towards collapse and catastrophe have been muffled by technological advance. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we got the car and we were able to do a, a bunch more stuff. It atomized us more and so on. And then we, we had the birth control pill, which added uh, people to the workforce. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it essentially halved your labor rate and put the, the onus for raising children on the state. Well, it also doubled their tax taxes receivable. Right, too. right, and yeah. pulled in pulled in uh, a bunch more a bunch more tax revenue. We've um, we've we've complicated something that's already complex. Mm-hmm. We've, we've added complications to life that aren't necessary, and with those complications uh, c- come complexity that's outside of the realm of our biology stuff that we're not comfortable with. You can, mm-hmm. you can, the, the tension in the air nowadays is palpable. Mm-hmm. It's hard to look past the charade that's American politics. It's, it's hard not to see the, the perversion of our youth and the, the glorification of things that were once, uh, they, they were looked down upon as beyond, as beyond the pale. There were things that you did in, in private that you didn't talk about and now we, we boast as if mm. doing those things in private is something to be proud of, right? Uh, and it's it's not something to what to be harsh. Like, it's not something to commit suicide over, but it's also mm. not anything to throw a party about, right? You know, right. Uh, there's no one. It's it's odd to me that we would like celebrate celebrate a sexual orientation. That's a, it's an odd celebration. Yeah. How me. is it? How is it a, a, a meritocratic? How is it a win? Right, you know that there was a triumph of will, so especially to speak, because versus a choice. Yeah, especially because from <clears throat> from their their side, or the side that that looks to to celebrate that stuff from their side, it, it's something they were born with and can't change. Mm-hmm. Like, you didn't even earn it. <laughs> I don't understand being proud so of something you didn't privilege? earn. That's gay privilege. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> um, I think a hot button to start with. What's going on with these cement milkshakes? Like this seems like a fire starter. Yeah. Ooh. Um, we uh, are having sanctioned violence yeah. from the left to, uh, I wouldn't characterize it as peaceful assembly, but it certainly hasn't been violent assembly either, you know, but we talk about poking the bear, so to speak. Right. And one of the big things I want to hit is take a couple of these uh, major points, you know, uh, what would be a positive outcome, a negative outcome, you know, what's the response? We could take a couple steps. We talked about permutations mm-hmm. of, of response here. Sure. So um, taking a lead on this, so, so the left has sanctioned violence. They start to increase their violence. Uh, their violence is then met with retaliation. Uh, I think a negative outcome would be uh, a disparity of justice where the right wing anybody is jailed for life, uh, put widely doxxed and you know all sorts of narratives mm-hmm. against them. Um, kind of like the smirking boy, all the efforts. The counter could be large uh, legal attacks that can cost them $30 million. So seeing how some of these things play out, so one response would be that. A second response that we'd really look forward to, uh, 
especially Kurt calls for it. If a million men could show up and back this up, it's over. That's a, a huge win. Somewhere in the middle is a trickle version where small wins, small losses, and I think that's kind of the way they'd want to attack, like a war of attrition. Keep trying to wear down the morale. Let's talk to that. How do we not only build the movement, but um, maybe there's a maybe there's a boxing aspect where we'll do we'll take dodges, let them wear themselves out. The left is particularly prone to eating themselves. You know, they'll attack white women for not being uh, suffering enough, and their white male allies, uh, you know, can't prostrate to please them, you know. Mm -hmm. So the left is certainly weak in that area. They're, they're taking victories on the front, but as they attack themselves, there is a, a part where they're not necessarily as united as they seem to be over topics. They're, they're, it seems their cohesion is grounded in hatred, uh, meaning they're, they're rallied around fighting an enemy, but not, but not around any common or, or core values. Right. And there's there's stronger bonding to be had over things that you share in common. That's that aren't a common enemy. Mm -hmm. There's weaker bonds that come with uh, bonding over an enemy. Yeah. Uh, that that outgroup hatred type of bond. What I I suppose what I fear moving forward is that if things trend the way they're trending, it looks like the left will end up with the upper hand. Yeah, because even though they're eating themselves, they also hold most of the higher positions of influence in the academy, most of the higher positions of influence in the media, uh, and also in uh, politics and the state. So if if the pushback from the right is sporadic and untimely, they'll wrap up units of the right as they respond to the left. Right now, uh, I have framed and probably will continue to frame what the left is doing uh, as as picking a fight that they can't win mm -hmm. something you know you don't you don't pick fights that you can't win because you get hurt or dead that's no good for anyone in the long run but you have to be wise enough to see that you're outmatched mm -hmm. and i don't i don't think they believe that they're outmatched which is they're they're already throwing the first punches Mm -hmm. To me, a, a, res a response to the punches is warranted. You don't, <laughs> you don't sit there and, and just take a beating uh, when someone's looking to, uh, when all that person is looking to do is, is dole that beating out, is mm -hmm. to beat you down or browbeat you over the things that uh, you, you find important. And they're, because their ethic isn't cohesive, if they win in the long run, the atomization will continue, and the animosity will just turn towards each other. They'll begin to eat themselves in the, in the long run. It's not a way to hold up anything uh, in, in the long term through, through a future. Right. Well, a couple things. Uh, one, the, the culture of critique. So this comes out of the Marxist ideology. Mm. So all it is about is attacking the establishment uh, it's creating this narrative that it's a dichotomy of oppressor versus oppressed, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and then, of course, all it does is offer critique. There is no argument. There's no citation or backing of it. There's no historical evidence. There's uh, no scientific uh, understanding or basis of it. So we're, de <laughs> we're dealing with, uh, 
it's beyond mob mentality. And it's, uh, it's largely uh, funded. Uh, narratives are given by the dominant mainstream media. Uh, their victories are celebrated. Um, it seems like it's a massive uphill. Where uh, I describe our position as um, partway down a downward spiral. And those only speed up and become more disoriented, uh, disorienting as you descend. Yeah. Uh, for, for the first time, it, it, it appears as though we have the, the technology and the ability to collect the data to prove that these trends are, <clears throat> that they're detrimental to everyone in the long run and reversing them is an imperative. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite portions of the proprietarian work is the, the work around critique and that mm -hmm. critique is lying. Mm -hmm. And people have a hard time with that, <laughs> with that concept. But if if you're not offering uh, a demonstrable alternative to what you're critiquing, mm -hmm. you're you're looking you're looking to tear something down and leave a void. Mm -hmm. And we we know what vacuums do when when they're <laughs> uh, what when they're created at the cultural level. We've done it to the Middle East uh, a bunch of times now. Mm -hmm. You create a power vacuum and then something unexpected takes its place. And that something unexpected is often worse than what it was you removed. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of time what it is you removed emerged over time. Mm -hmm. And then you're looking to supplant that with not that. Mm -hmm. And that's not just to tear something down, so just to critique it. It's not enough. It's not enough. You're but they don't tear down certain institutions, sure. right? The yep. Occupy Wall Street, yep. you know, rally against the 1%, but there was no clarification of who the 1% is. Did mm -hmm. they talk about even auditing the Federal Reserve? Did they talk about abolishing the Federal Reserve? You know? The 1% the one, the one is like a... It's not, it's not exactly a real group. Firstly, it's a, it's a rotating group. So in, in America, you have, I, I think, something like a 10% chance to be in the 1% for you know, a few years of your life. I so, was in it for the dot-com. Right. I was so, in it for the real estate. Yeah, group. there you go. So yeah. we, we rotate in and out of yeah. the 1%. So they're not even the same people. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of them not being the same people all the time, there's, there's age disparity in the 1%. So often, the 1% are people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s who have accumulated wealth throughout their life, and they're there because they've earned it. Yeah. Uh, so to just, to just make the cutoff uh, something like, you know, yearly wealth, uh, yearly uh, income or something like that seems, seems crazy. You're, you're, picking a sub, you're picking a subset of people who have, uh, they don't have something, they don't have something serious seriously detrimental in common. It's not like the 1% is stealing everything from us. Like, right. It's just not the way things, it's not the way things operate. It's a bad, it's a bra bad framework. Right. I, I'm pointing at the, the hypocrisy of the cultural Marxists is that everything is up for critique except for us. Right. Yeah. Yeah, except their, their ideology. This is the way things are <laughs> and we can critique everything else based it on It is us. all subjective except for us. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, there's no Weird. absolute. There's yeah. no absolute truth other than the truth that there's no absolute. Truth. <laughs> Binding yourself up in, in a in a circle that, uh, that that will not that will not release you. Right. So carrying on with um, 
You, you brought up a good point last night about you wish propertarianism had a goal, a clearer goal. Sure. And uh, I think what we just covered here, we're in the dark night on the soul. So a lot of my work is film theory. I do myth matrix, personal narratives. It's about how to be the hero in your own life story. And there's a beat in every film, uh, even my son can pick them out now, that when you have the all is lost beat and the dark night of the soul, it seems we've been stuck in this as a nation for more than 100 years. Uh, can I, you explain I, that a little further? Well, I would agree with you that we're halfway down uh, a spiral and it would accelerate. So dark night of soul as a beat, um, that's where you've lost all hope. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nihilism. Yeah, and um, that's where we feel the most. The reason why a good uh, all is lost beat is important is because that is the lowest, and if the audience can go there with you, then the ride back up is extraordinary. The, that third act push uh, becomes meaningful. There's an emotional catharsis. So there is, there is some larger um, magic that can happen here as a collective audience. And so after you get through Dark Night of the Soul, you get into the act three break, which is you come up with a new plan. All right. That's what we're doing here. I think that's what we're doing in Sheepdog and Propertarianism. We're coming up with a new plan. Mm -hmm. Now, if we look ahead, uh, you know, we go to the castle. The princess has been moved. So our, our, our plan has been thrown off. We have to dig deep. We come up with yet another new plan, and we go try that one out. We have to dig deep again, usually, is the third time. So it takes usually about three times. Uh, that adds some of those surprise elements, which are getting a little formulaic in films these days. They're just trying to you know, shock audiences. Film, film has been garbage for yeah. at least a decade. But, but that being said, in terms of hitting the emotional catharsis, there is a value to hitting the low point and then making your way. Because if you can dig deep down, which is what it does require for us at this point, uh, and do it again and again until we win, that circles back to the grit that is required uh, as a wrestler, uh, the adversity, working through the adversity mm. and, and building not just the endurance, mental fortitude. There's a big thing about you have to uh, two things by the third act. You have to know who the enemy is, okay? That's how you make a plan is you kind of got to know who the enemy is. And then number two, you, you have to answer the theme. There's always a theme stated in the beginning of the film, and then it's questioned through the debate, and it's questioned actually throughout the whole film. I think there are a lot of important themes that we both ask and answer and debate in our groups and online, um, and maybe even just in this podcast we could find what the central theme is. Not that I need to point it out right now, but just we'll, we'll figure it out. It will, especially for the audience who go, yeah, this is what I pulled out of it. Um, so in our, in our third act push here, one of concerns is, hey, what is the goal for both sheepdog and for propertarianism? And you had mentioned that it's not particularly clear. I mean, there are aspects of it that are getting clearer and clearer and better, especially around the law and the propertarian constitution, yet the the whole vision of the goal, what is our outcome, is not explicitly stated at this point. Mm -hmm. You could argue, well, that's all via positiva. We only do the via negativa. So sure. We'll tell you what not to do, right? but we're not going to paint a picture for you. It's, so 
we've we discussed that earlier. I, I'm more I'm more comfortable operating in that, uh, allowing what what ought to happen to emerge and be emergent. Mm -hmm. the, the issue I, I see is in, one is in implementation, but the other is in the, the, sale, the saleability of the plan. And what I see as the hurdle is its perception. It's your ability to uh, frame a future around a certain set of uh, ideals or norms and for that to be something that people can see. Mm -hmm. I think people are, are blinded to anything outside of the, the current systems of operations now. They don't know what the world would look like without politics as it is. Mm -hmm. They don't know what it would look like without business as such. You know, they don't know what it would look like without, uh, without the, the cities operating in the way that they do. And they, they can't wrap their mind around that. There's too, there's too many unknowns. When, when, you, when you can't get a clear picture or you're, you're in the dark, your stress levels rise. Mm. It's important for people to keep their, uh, be able to have their routines or see their way through something. Mm -hmm. it, it's the darkness, the nihilism, the abyss. Uh, you know, it's the reason that, that Jordan Peterson is popular even though the things he's saying uh, what would be difficult for you to implement taking responsibility for your your own life the fact that that message is saleable to uh, seemingly a generation of people it, it means that something was broken moving 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 forward through life it means these people are, are missing something important in their life uh, meaning is something that we can't do without with mm -hmm. suicide epidemic so I, I was saying last night I believe that the, the propertarian ideas are, are saleable you can sell them to people because they're better ideas hmm. in, a, in a clearer framework than anything else, uh, anything else being offered by anyone else. And, right. I, and I look, uh, when, you, when you have, when you can frame things in a fashion that gives you a clear picture, you can make better decisions. Right. And yeah. then you're not blindsided by the surprise outcomes of your actions. You're, your, your actions will have outcomes that you, that you planned for. Mm -hmm. And then you don't, get, you don't get smashed in the face with that negative affect that comes from your pattern matching being terrible mm -hmm. or, or off. And I, I wrote a post the other day that I caught a little bit of flack for because something, you know, a, a little light bulb went off around the, the, the mindset of, the mindset of uh, uh, addiction and excuse making mm -hmm. so uh, the, the, the framing of religion as something that people are addicted to it escaped me a little bit but it, it appears that people are addicted to the ability to have things have, have an outcome happen that they weren't planning for mm -hmm. and to deal with that negative affect by saying something like oh it's God's will or everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, those things wouldn't have happened for any reason had you planned properly and mm -hmm. you would have had a good outcome instead of one that surprised you that you have to make excuses for. And your excuse is only, uh, your excuse is only allowing you to hold on to the framework that led you to not see the outcome that, 
uh, that you that manifested in in your space, mm -hmm. uh, and to to provide an excuse or a justification for not seeing this place clearly sounds exactly like an addict to me. Mm. So it was. Uh, It's like making um, it's like making an excuse for your child. You, you can't change them, and they act in a, in a certain way. So, you just, well, well, that's the way that they are. Mm. Where where really there was discipline to be had. Like it wouldn't be the way they were if you told them no. Mm -hmm. You know, and it, it wouldn't be God's will if you had the agency to <laughs> make the world unfold as you wish, which we're the only creatures that do. So to eschew that ability is to to cast aside being human. It's, right. it's to relegate yourself to the realms of, of dogs. Dogs think things happen for no reason. Right. You know, well, I don't know what this is, but I'll just react to it. Yeah. You know? Under, understanding that uh, making excuses and justifying things while they are reasons and may be rational, it's, it's almost never helpful. Mm -hmm. It's almost never helpful. Sounds like uh, this is part of the digging deep down. Oh yeah, well, part of our, it's the interplay between our environments and the individuals in them where there's that, where there's a disconnect and why things are so, we have to fix the environments and the people that are acting in them. And if we don't fix both and if we don't do it simultaneously, we're gonna have problems. It's, uh, that sounds like dirty goldfish bowl and dirty goldfish. Yeah. Um, I would counter that it's great to have proprietarian, the sellable, there could be some pushback, there could be significant pushback against a parasitic system that does not want these solutions. So you might not see immediate success, you might in fact see some huge stumbling failure, but it's not for lack of the truth and best truth candidate and well-informed and logical, rational, reasonable, warranted, due diligence speech on our side. It's that the system is antithetical to all of that. It, mm -hmm. it only works because of its parasitism at its core and its lies. So the degree of pushback, that's why um, it's almost like to build our empire of men that do have agency and are awake and the uh, loyal following of honest, true women. Um, I, I know that separate and speciate and revolt and prosper, that's an aspect of it. Um, I just want to go further into, especially on science fiction, I love near future. Like I, I don't want to go a thousand years in the future as yeah. if there was no there's no basis of how we got there. I like this. What does 20 years look like? What does the next 10, what does the next 50 look like? Yeah. Because um, we have an opportunity here, especially because it requires a tremendous amount of time, money, and energy to prop up an empire of lies. Yes. And uh, we see the degree of desperation coming from you know, these, quote, uh, free industries or companies starting to band together in censorship, uh, banning, deplatforming, uh, demonetizing. They're, they're showing their cards frequently here. Mm -hmm. um, how, do you, how are you positioning yourself 
to take it kind of seems like a weakened or a wounded wrestler so to speak is falling to a knee uh, you have thoughts on how we can best position ourselves uh, being being autonomous and, and self-sustaining is, is probably the move for anyone with uh, a serious uh, amount of, of agency keeping your base yeah uh, being being able to to do it yourself and the, the interesting thing about or, or rather what struck me about what you just said is uh, we have all those the, the Marxists ought to love the fact that we should be redistributing uh, we should be redistributing the way we operate inside of our economies it's just they're going to be upset with and they're going to be upset with the jobs that ought to be called because it's all their jobs. It's all the university professors and the white collar paper pushers and the administrators who set up the <laughs> roadblocks. Like those are the people whose wealth needs to be distributed. It's like you don't need a two hundred thousand dollar salary for being the administrator of a, a public college. Right. You that's not a job. <laughs> that's you being in the way and and wielding power to influence uh, you know where children go and in their life paths. Yeah. yeah you're you're acting in, you're acting within a system, whose um, whose direction is is negative on the whole. Any systems like that should just be uh, removed or or retooled. I'm not for a. I'm not for a burning of things to the ground. Although I think that might be the swiftest means mm -hmm. of transition, because of all the work and energy, and uh, connection that comes with the infrastructure as such. We, we have a federal infrastructure. Mm. We, we, have, uh, uh, we have power grids and networks that are interconnected. And if we can get a handle on uh, operating them in, in a fashion that benefits all those who, who use those services, it's, it's better for us. There's a reason we tax people and pool money uh, to do things that certain groups can't do on their own. It's because it's, it's the efficient way to do things. Yeah. Uh, I, think to throw this, I think to throw this stuff aside is, is throwing away the, the baby with the bathwater. Uh, that's, that's, that, uh, that's not to say that we couldn't get to a point where you know, just allowing chaos to reign is the move. Uh, and I think we're probably heading faster and faster to that, uh, heading faster and faster to that to that point in time where, if action doesn't happen, like we'll we we'll have passed our window of uh, available action. Mm. Uh, so at some at some point, if things drag on long enough and nothing happens to change, they'll they'll become almost unchangeable, or the collapse will become uh, imminent. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think most people think the collapse is imminent presently. Uh, I, mean, I, I suppose I'm under the optimistic impression that we could do a 180 because we're the only animal that can take in information and then alter our behavioral, our behavioral patterns based on that information mm -hmm. and uh, bully ourselves into those changes. You know, that's what self-discipline is. It's doing things that you... you I suppose you're biologically not tuned to do, mm -hmm. but, but do them for the, the betterment of yourself and your family in the future. I, I see it as the digging deep down, mm -hmm. and, but a 
we need to know who the enemy is. Uh, we have to learn the theme, which could I, now I would offer around autonomy, agency, the topics that we're talking about. Um, certainly a strong theme around family, the importance of family, uh, intergenerational transfer of both knowledge and wealth. That's how the middle class becomes the upper class. Yes. Um, yeah. So, and then uh, we have to dig back to the digging deep down. And um, we mentioned before a moral license, which could turn into a moral imperative to be well prepared, mm -hmm. to even have a plan B when we, when and if we do get punched in the face, right. when it starts to go hot, so to speak. I, I think some guys in the group are really well prepared. Uh, I, just networking with them is great to. There are, I think there are quite a few of them yeah. that are yeah, even, even overly prepared, <laughs> for, for sure. Yeah. Uh, the the, the re-centering of the family, mm -hmm. um, if, if I could pick a defining issue, that would probably be it. Because even the, even the people on the left who have this, they have this, what, inclination or this drive to, to treat everyone as their their brother or kin or at least operate in the fashion it's why they want open borders it's like well everyone's the same mm -hmm. you learn everyone's not the same in your family when you have brothers and sisters because <laughs> you're not the same as yeah. them you know, your mother treats you the same but that's about it uh, mm -hmm. otherwise things are equal your your brothers and sisters so big families brothers and sisters teach you you're not special mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and without Without recentering the family, you don't you don't have a basis to learn how to love properly. Mm. You want to extend love and kinship to everyone. If you're not raised in a family with real love, you don't know how to do it. And your extension of it is a perversion, not an actual manifestation of love. It's a um, probably a coping and. Exactly. And an acquisition strategy. It's a, there's something absent from your life, so you're looking to get it from somewhere you shouldn't be getting it. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's only natural to seek it, and it's, it's become easier as I've gone through the, the proprietarian work, and it, it's been easier to, I suppose, forgive people for the way that they act when you, when you frame them as animals needing domestication as opposed to agents making malevolent choices. It's like mm -hmm. choose, if you had to choose between uh, whether someone was doing something to you maliciously or they were ignorant of the outcomes and it just happens to hurt you, uh, the second is more likely. Mm -hmm. More likely that they're just ignorant and that it's having a negative impact on you than they're looking to, to, to truly do damage to you. Now there are those on the far left that are literally doing damage uh, mm -hmm. Putting the, the quickcrete or the uh, muriatic acid in like the, the milkshakes. Like I said the last night, the, those are those seem to me to be proximity shit tests. It's like we can get this close to you, look out, and that's that's uh, it's a scary it's a scary type of situation when you frame things that way. Yeah, that, like you that's what it looks show like. Up for... Right, it looks like they're saying, "Hey, look how close we can get to you, and look how violent we can be." without any authority stopping us. Like, you better not show up here. Your mm -hmm. ideas better not come into this space, mm -hmm. which is uh, 
know, it's, it's, a, it's a horrific, it's a horrific way to think. Well, we silence you online, and now we'll... We'll silence you in real life. Silence you in real life. Got to dig deep down, man. That's what we got to do. Yeah, we have to have the we have to have the hard conversations. The issue is the people who need to hear the stuff uh, that we're saying are are closing are closing their ears. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're blocking they're blocking out all the information that runs counter to their narrative, as you would imagine they would, because it's it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to hear that the way you've uh, that you perceive the world is wrong. Like you're just wrong about it. Yeah, uh, it, it's hard for someone who who buys the, what, women were oppressed by men throughout history narrative uh, to tell them that that's not even close, not even close to the case. Yeah. Well, there's uh, some power in uh, steel man argument. So to take some of the left strongest talking points and try to uh, strengthen them through data Mm -hmm. and give it a direction to it. Sure. So we do know that propertarianism can be applied to a left commonist, not communist, but to protect the commons. Mm-hmm. And um, we could probably just as easily help them identify who the true oppressors are, those that uh, behave parasitically and operate with lies. Now, will, will they like to hear those type of answers? Uh, no. Well, there would probably be a lot of pushback, but those that um, kind of walk away um, certainly would be the ones that could reinvent uh, the left and work towards the commons. That would be a great thing to see. And maybe in their solutions will lean towards uh, letting people freely associate and disassociate, allowing for mm. uh, communities like Chinatown, Little Italy, uh, Little Greek, you know, I think the fringe left is a shrinking faction. As they as they approach the extreme and they mm-hmm. and they do so at an, an ever more rapid pace, they expel people from their ranks mm-hmm. for not you know getting in line. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the recent bouts of uh, violence towards reporters and the violent antifa gangs are. Uh, a testament to that. You can see people saying, you know, look, I'm on the left, but I disavow this violence. Mm-hmm. And that's not everyone. I, I don't particularly like the right-left uh, dichotomy because I don't think it. I don't think it captures everyone anymore. Like mm-hmm. we've split. We've split up into uh, fairly distinct groups, and that the political, uh, the political triangle covers it better than right and left and even more so like uh, mimetic mimetic tribes might cover it even more so than that mm-hmm. uh, there, are, there are certain groups of people uh, for instance libertarians like they don't exact they don't fall on the right or the left they're four things that are from both they have that um, ascendant or, or rather adolescent male type of strategy plus their individualistic mm-hmm. uh, uh, they atomize they atomize by nature, mm-hmm. the lone wolf types. Like they don't fit in that. They don't fit in that left-right scale. It, it just it doesn't it doesn't capture enough of us. And I think the, the because I believe the message to be so saleable. It's like you you want the best 
for your for your group and your family. And the way to do that is create a, a polity in whose people specialize in your um, your domains of competence, and to concentrate and refine the skills in that area so that you can trade them with others in a value-added fashion. So if you do this better than me, I'll buy your products from you, right? Mm -hmm. So that I don't have to make them. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the specialization and the differentiation, that's where all the, gain, that's where all the gains are. So as, as the left forces people to be cognitively the same, have the same set of ideas, and put the same framework on the world, That's we lose right. our ability to add value for each other. Our value only comes with not disrupting the herd. <laughs> it's like, that's not a value. Yeah. It's not exactly a value. Uh, there's, there's some stability in that, I think. Sure. The, you don't, that the herd is going for. Yeah, you're not popping sense. your head up and getting uh, picked off by a hunter. Yeah. Right. Or trampled. Feminine seeking safety. Mm -hmm. Well, there is something to be said about people. People want to be. People operate better when they feel their safety in their position. Like if mm -hmm. I fail, I'm not down and out. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's it's not a it's not a knockout blow. You know, mm -hmm. you you didn't take you might have taken a loss, but you didn't take uh, a, a hit to your ability or or ego or or um, your your be your being didn't take that the distress that comes with being uh, humiliated or uh, bested so severely. So to have, to have some safety and, and to not be destitute, mm -hmm. it, it means something to people. And I think adding that stability back to the, to the foundation of well, whatever groups emerge out of the chaos that's coming, is, is, it's a necessary component. Another necessary component, though, is the incorporation of the pack side. So the pack um, seeks position. There's could be a, a competition for position, but there's also uh, knowing your place in the in the hierarchy, playing the best of your abilities, and then there's also uh, variations of specialization. We do understand the guy who's the welder and the best at that is different than the guy who's the best telecom tech, or mm -hmm. you know. So we can appreciate each other's uh, hierarchies. Yeah. Yeah, it's I, it's incredibly important to have uh, a group that has uh, complementary skill sets. That's exactly what I was thinking. Maybe in this great solutions, as if we're going to offer, we're coming back to being sellable. I, I could see either third position uh, is talked about uh, reestablishing like a new centrist approach um, of picking out complementary skill sets. You know. You don't have to. It doesn't have to be the raging alcoholic mother. It doesn't have to be, you know, the dictatorial uh, dickhead dad. Mm -hmm. You know, that uh, could say, hey, you know, try to find how we could complement each other of where we're at. I think another important point is, uh, where is the nation at? Uh, it's ridiculous to think that we're in such great times that we can be socialistic uh, and hand out all the. Uh, all the additional fruits of our labor at this point, you know, uh, but we're not at war. We don't necessarily need a fascist, totalitarian marshalling of our collective efforts. 
we're probably somewhere in the middle at this point where uh, free market or libertarian could make it work. Though if uh, we keep acting stupid and playing the fool, then obviously a martial authoritarian is going to naturally rise. Uh, yeah, uh, perhaps along, along these lines, it's the, it, it's the approach. We, we have a backward approach to consequence. Hmm. I, I seem we're not, we're not severe enough with our consequence when we, when we must be. Right. Uh, and we're, we're too severe with certain consequence when we, when we shouldn't be. Well, I think the left uh, plays punishment. You know, they do the doxing, trying to get somebody reported, stuff like that. I've, I've barely seen the right, right taking swings yet. I think the first one that was notable was the Catholic boy, the smirking, weaponized smirk, and then I think there was a $30 million lawsuit. Uh, so I think that's punitive enough to teach a lesson. Yeah, I'd like to see more of that. I suppose I haven't really thought about it before, but it, it seems like reputation destruction, like the, the undermining of someone's mm -hmm. uh, character, mm -hmm. um, is it's it's too costly a means of punishment. It's like if someone's that bad, like we have punishments for them. Mm -hmm. We have death penalties. We have put them in cage for the rest of their life. Like uh, it shouldn't be up to uh, the court of public opinion to to defame someone for something they said or an idea that they have. Uh, yeah, the they, casting have people they acted out of on social, that right. so-called racism. Have right. they instigated any racially motivated violence? Mm -hmm. We ha we have to allow for more. We have to allow for more fumbling in the abstract space because mm -hmm. when you when you close off the realm of ideas, what you do is you force those ideas into action for testability because you can't test them in the abstract realm because you get chastised. Mm -hmm. So people suppress them and then express them physically and then we have problems mm -hmm. because they didn't run their their idiocy by you first where you could go, hey, nope, that's idiotic, you shouldn't do it. Uh, but, but instead we say you can't say that and you can't be around here and then they become uh, radicalized or outcasts and once they're there, actions, they're their only choice. I see the left as driving the right to action mm -hmm. and it's action that they, they don't want and, and won't be able to handle if it, if it unfurls in the way that, uh, in the way that it will. The way that it will. But both of these sides have pretty bad optics. Like Antifa yes. is oh, a yeah. caricature of uh, the left, and Proud Boys, to some degree, is caricature of, of the right. Yeah. I think there was something that kind of illuminated me to Lincoln Rockwell, uh, who was painted as, well, not just painted, he was an American neo uh, Nazi party, right? but tried to push forward ideals uh, and did it in such a stereotypical manner that he could be immediately dismissed. Mm. So one of my concerns uh, is to have bad optics and to be dismissed just because, you know, feverishly panting 
and playing out a part that's far too right, alt right, whatever it is. But to to have the degree of discourse that is worthy of sitting at the table with founding fathers and say, hey, you guys did pretty good, but we need to upgrade this one because this, 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 and this happened mm-hmm. over the past you know three hundred years. We're not. Uh, our our systems are woefully behind technologically. So they're, they're too slow to keep up with the rate of change mm-hmm. because the, the rate of change now is at the pace of technology. Mm-hmm. If, you're not, if, you're not, if your bureaucracy isn't keeping up with that technology, then your bureaucracy is holding your polity back. Uh, we can't enact change fast enough because it takes months or years or whatever to push through, to push through a cause and create, this, uh, create a, a, a cultural shift. Mm-hmm. Where we could be riding, we could be riding on the backs of certain trends. Uh, so, for instance, uh, the the move culturally, from what it seems like, from my perspective, is to ride the counterculture of Generation Z. Hmm. It's to it's to use their uh, their what is their their innate sense to rebel as hmm. they're developing. And ro- reward that life path. It's like their rebellion is to create families and have children. Mm-hmm. When I say get behind them. Mm-hmm. When I say get behind them and raise that ethic up. Like, yep, the generations before you did make mistakes, and you guys are riding the ship, and we're going to give you a hand in that. Awesome. And that's a, it's a, what is it? A way, a way to get it, a way to get it kickstarted, and to have people who are, they're legitimately for moving forward in that fashion because they, they express it. They express it. It's demonstrated mm-hmm. in their in their rhetoric. It's demonstrated in their actions. They mm-hmm. don't want anything to do with the the hedonistic nihilist uh, culture that was created by the the pleasure the pleasure seekers. Mm-hmm. So uh, if we can capture if we can capture things like that, we'll we'll make a lot of headway. Uh, another thing that struck me about the, the work in these arenas is the, the grounding in real. So mm. when you train dogs or you coach wrestling, violence is the reality. Like <laughs> that dog could bite you, mm-hmm. and this person is, is trying to impose their will upon you. There's not an amount of talking that stops those things from happening. There's, right. there's action that you can take, and there's skills that you can garner to um, keep negative consequences from uh, manifesting. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it stems from your ability to do things physically, not your ability to think things through. We've disconnected ourselves from the physical world so much so that we, we negate its presence in our rhetoric. It's like, oh, you can't be violent. Mm. Who's going to stop <laughs> And And how? If yeah. it's not on the table for you, like, you think I can't, and then I am, what mm-hmm. does your world look like? Because <laughs> from my perspective, it looks like your world will fall apart. Yeah. <laughs> so will Generation Z take action, though? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe they don't have to take action. Maybe they're the ones that will happily rebuild in a civilization like creating uh, manner once mm, the older generations that, that see the problems take action. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
look, if it was just up to me and I could change people's minds, I would take the people who, who own the big companies, who, who are in the positions of influence, and tell them to do a 180 on their practices. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, these practices hurt people in the long run. Stop doing these. Use your networks to create uh, families and flourishing. There's, uh, it doesn't even seem like it's that hard of a fix. People want families. They want people to be close to them. They enjoy communities. It's easier when you have people around you who pick up the slack if there's a problem. Mm -hmm. it's, it's catastrophic that you need to pay $1,000 a month for health care that you probably won't use through the first uh, 30 years of your adult life. Like, who needs constant doctor visits between 16 years old and, and 46 years old? Mm -hmm. like right. you, don't, you should be a healthy adult. Right. And I mean, not to go down a rabbit hole, but that's a, it's, a, it's another problem we have. We don't have a health care system. We have a sick care system. We have right. a, a system that profits off people being sick, not getting better. Uh, we have degenerating, we have degenerating economies in in all sorts of in all sorts of those those like huge domains, uh, healthcare being a stark one, politics being uh, another one, even consumer business practices. It's like we keep plants going to continue to pump out endless amounts of useless consumer goods because jobs are sacred. Mm -hmm. We hold the wrong things. We hold the wrong things up. Mm -hmm. Well, a military budget is also what is it fifty? Sure, fifty percent plus of GDP. Mm -hmm. And we're spending <clears throat> we're spending a oh, we're spending a fortune that's only comparable to a combination of the next top spenders. It's like we spend as much as something like the next twenty nations combined, mm -hmm. and and. In, military, in a militaristic fashion. And I'm not, look, we probably should have the biggest military budget by double. We have bases all around the world. We, we police all around the world. We sure. attempt to do humanitarian, uh, we attempt to uh, put forth humanitarian efforts in, in places that have catastrophe. We're, we're set up and have the infrastructure to do so, but we can't do it for free. It's worse than free. Uh, we're doing it at a cost to us. We're not being paid to rule that I know of. Right, right. We we have to have our our skills uh, paid for. We have to have what we're what we're putting forth paid back, and we're just being we're being robbed of it. But we're, we're not, not particularly good at ruling. At no, point. no. We've been we've done a poor job. A poor job. I we're mean, we're it, the only ones in the position to do it, which is why, uh, like I said, it's to take the top leaders and go, hey. You've been doing everything wrong. Yeah. Turn around, go the other way, uh, and if you don't, you know we'll remove you and put someone who will. Yeah, I'd love place. to see if the American military has taken that large of a chunk of our GDP that we are helping other nations build, commons, create, uh, raise their agency, and that we're paid in the process to do that, and that that somehow uh, rewards our citizens. That would be ideal. But it, it, it seems as though the way things are, are structured now that it's, uh, the task seems impossibly tall to mm -hmm. most people. And you can hear it as soon as you talk to them because they'll laugh at you if you say that you can change things. Uh, and they'll say things like, well, that's just the way things are. It's like, well, that's an admittance of defeat. 
from the get-go. It's like, well, if that's the way things are, then that's the way things are. If that's the way you look at things, you'll never change a thing. Sure. So it's the wrong, certainly the wrong out, outlook if we're in agreement that that change has to be the, the course. And I don't think anyone disputes that, not from the left, not from the right, not from the middle. It's like things are broken and need to change. It's a matter of how, at what pace, and in what direction. Mm -hmm. uh, this reminds me of after the all is lost in the dark night of the soul, there is a section where uh, the enemy, the enemy comes in, um, or it's called bad guys close in. And if anybody's interested in this, uh, there's a book series, Save the Cat by Blake Snyder, talks about the 15 beats. And the bad guys close in beat is when external enemies uh, come in and make the hero's life worse. But it's also when it, the team starts to fight against itself. Mm. So you can have enemies within, so to speak. And um, you can see it happening. Like um, The one that is blowing me away is just how destructive immigration is. Mm. Uh, the Democrats are buying their votes, bringing more and more in. Uh, people of color, immigrants, 70% plus vote Democratic. So they know that they have an anchored vote. The more that they can get them in there, the more that the Democrats can take positions of power, which is really what they wanted all the time. Uh, probably that slippery slope of then taking away freedom of association, freedom of speech, take away guns, you know, create your little, uh, or create their larger uh, plantations, <laughs> a slave plantations, slave labor, creating a, a, a where is it where basically just by manoralism or something like you just have the elites mm. and the the serfs. Yeah. Well, yeah. if if what's happening is we're redistributing wealth down so that those people can live, those who are redistributing the wealth wealth become a necessity mm -hmm. for those receiving it. Uh, if you're not working to raise the agency of your lower classes, you're doing yourself a disservice. And I I attempt to frame. Look, we have draconian. Uh, immigration policy. We still immigrate, we, we saw people immigrate here on like a lottery basis, which to me is asinine. Mm -hmm. uh, like you get a winning lottery ticket to America. There's no, there's not a merit, there's not a meritocratic uh, process happening, uh, at, at least uh, at some level. Now, uh, on the other hand, we, we do garner attention from the, the top humans from elsewhere in the world. They come here to educate themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and where I, I differentiate from some people is like, that's good that we get the top people from elsewhere, but the move should be to get them, educate them, and send them back to fix their own homes. There you go. Because yeah. it, otherwise you're, you're degrading the nation you're taking the top talents from. It's like we're going to take your top talent and keep it, and good luck mm -hmm. with, your, with your own stuff. Right. Uh, and that that hurts. That hurts America in the long run because we we're the ones who jump in to support your country when you've gone under, mm -hmm. uh, or at least that should be our role. Recently, we've we've just disrupted other people's uh, other people's civilizations and, and cultures. But that the the education of of people and the the spreading of the 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 American way of life, and I, I don't mean democracy. I I just mean the. Uh, the, the agency-laden autonomy 
laden, you know, family building type of, of person who, who wants to live and pursue what it means to them to be human. Uh, those are things that we ought to be exporting. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't be stealing the top talent from elsewhere because it degrades their ability to catch us. Mm -hmm. We're the first world for a reason. People want to come here for a reason. Uh, there's, there's no reason why you can't make other places on uh, the planet operate more like our place. Sure. It's, it's not coming here and making it operate more like your place. <laughs> That's the wrong direction. It's the wrong direction. Uh, it's easy to see it's the wrong direction. It's very obvious. Right. Uh, but for some reason, we're not. Like, we don't see things that way. Our, our, we're, we're blind to that. We're, we're blind to that obviousness. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's uh, criminal that, however, this 1965 Immigration Act got through. Uh, the main basis was that the each state's current demographics were not to be changed, mm. and we're not even close to 1965 demographics. In, in, no, we're far. In, we're far from any that. state. We're far from that for sure. Um, so tying that back in, it's uh, enemies within, you know, and mm -hmm. enemies without. We're, so the concern, obviously, is we start attacking each other. Hey, I don't like that little small deviation from this. And we're, now we're infighting and we're losing our uh, uh, solidarity. And then we have enemies from without that are obviously throwing milkshakes at us with <laughs> cement. <laughs> yep. Honk, honk. Uh, so lots of problems, lots of solutions. Um, it's been a great talk. Yeah. Yeah. Should we cover more or? Uh, I'm I'm down and ready to, to cover to ramble on about whatever it is you you have in mind. Yeah, I, I see. Is I, I if there's one like outro here, I'd like to hit. If, if we could have a little uh, fun trying to paint a bitter picture of this goal. Like, what does it look like? We covered autonomy, mm -hmm. uh, agency, reestablishing family. I don't think we covered uh, maybe either a scenario of a separation and speciation mm -hmm. uh, or uh, the breadbasket, so to speak. Yep. I'd so, like, yeah, what is. I, I suppose I suppose I if separating peacefully could certainly be the move. It's it's a matter it's a matter of those on we're gonna, I'm going to call it the left, but uh, the the liberals. Mm -hmm. it, it's a matter of those people being able to hold together their own polity without the middle, and. Uh, my understanding of the way that that goods and and, and commerce is is undergone, or rather undertaken in America, is that the, the Mississippi River system is the uh, is the end all be all of moving things around. Mm -hmm. We're more efficient and capable of doing things because the Mississippi River system is the the biggest system of interconnected rivers in the world that are traversable with with goods, mm -hmm. and that moving things. Over water uh, is cheaper by weight than it is over train or car or roadway mm -hmm. uh, or plane. So air, sea is cheapest. Mm -hmm. uh, the coasts could 
certainly still import from their respective uh, sides, and you have the mountain ranges keeping the the coast from moving inward and encroaching on what would be what red America and and blue America. Mm -hmm. uh, it would just be a matter of of drawing lines. My my fear would be that the, the left wouldn't let the right leave. Like if you have a productive host and you're acting parasitically mm -hmm. upon them, yeah. there's no impetus for you to go. Okay, you can go. Right. Yeah, you can have your own stuff. We'll we'll be fine by ourselves. But, but we won't. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, we're sitting here right now in West Newbury, Massachusetts. We're 40 minutes north of Boston. Like, uh, those, the, the huge city hubs require the middle of the United States for food, mm -hmm. uh, for, for all the, the commodities and, and things that, that we use and use to, to thrive and survive. Um, but a peaceful separation, even if they, quote, don't want it, could be put on the table. Yes. Like, well, it should be. And it should be. Mm -hmm. uh, I also like it because it's libertarian in the let markets compete. Yeah. Okay, you have your ideals. Your ideals is this equality, uh, uh, some ideal equality that you believe should happen. You want to take a run at socialism and communism and spread the <laughs> fruits of your non-labor. Sure. Well, fair. Have at it. And if, uh, if your parasitism and rigging games and money manipulations and printing money and going into debt is all about that, well, do it in your own house and see how well it pans out. Right. Uh, one, I suppose, a silver, a silver lining in this declining atmosphere is that there's, there's not enough, I don't believe there's enough enforcement to collect the debts, meaning we owe a debt to all the banks and they hold all the mortgages and, and so on and so forth, but I don't think they have enough enforcement to take back our homes, for instance. Yeah. You know, if I were, if I were to uh, put together collective action, it would be to tell everyone not to pay their mortgages to the banks we bailed out. It's like they have other services and stuff. Let them pull out of the hole themselves. Families yeah. get their homes. Yep, sure. Look, people are going to win and lose in disproportionate fashions when we try to uh, redistribute things or rework the things uh, things the way that they are. Like, I, I don't, I don't typically. I, I don't frame something like student loan debt as something we're going to get back. I see student loans as small business loans to eighteen-year-old know-nothings who studied goats and yoga. <laughs> like they're not they're not going to be a business that you make your money back on. Yeah. Uh, they they a lose they were a losing investment in the first place and you pushed them through that that you pushed them through that channel at mm. your detriment and theirs. I'm not even sure if they owe you if you're going to do a full accounting on the business. Well, let's let's add to a little bit more to that. Um, yeah. Uh, it used to be in bankruptcy court you could extinguish all debts, and then now right. there's one debt that cannot be right. Yeah, it's indentured servitude. The the college debts, college debt, student loan debt. Can mm -hmm. what happened after that? You also had uh, Pell grants uh, for getting into college, and all sorts of loans. Student loans started to become big business. The way the way I understand it, banks got out of student loans by 2012. It's only the government that holds student loans now. I mean, I'm sure that there are old bank loans from before then, but I, I don't think uh, hmm. banks even grant you student loans. I, any I just longer. don't see the risk now for a private party to offer a student loan if they can't be 
bankrupted. You know, right. you can't discharge that debt. So I would look into it and see if more. Well, certainly we know that the college raised tuitions. That's skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. So if they said, oh, well, that you can borrow more money because you're not going to be able to get out of it. And now college is going to cost more. Oh, but the government's going to give it to you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I could see that happening. Yeah, they. It's. Um, I'm usually I'm usually not willing to go the, you know, top down conspiratorial route. It's like these things are they're an alignment of people's incentives through time across across domains mm-hmm. and, and arenas, mm-hmm. and at some point they converge in <laughs> catastrophe, mm-hmm. and that's what we're that's what we're witnessing now. It's the um, the, the combinatorics of all the mistakes we've made, uh, and it, it's going to make for one hell of a one hell of a uh, what's the word? I'm Finale? For? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, debacle of, of some <laughs> sort. It's it, it's coming to it's coming to that ahead the way that I see it. Yeah, the, the, the trends look bad to me. So it'd be great to see proprietarians and sheepdogs and alignment of the middle class. I'd love to see the entrepreneurs that are uh, loyal, noble, like the new nobles, get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, bring forward this proprietarian constitution that eliminates lies and parasitism. Uh, I do agree that a, wiping a large chunk of mortgage debt would be a smart move. Uh, yeah, we should have bailed out the homeowners in the last bailout instead of the banks. Right. We should have said, hey, we're going to bail you out of your underwater mortgages because um, it's, it's better for our economy. It's better than giving the money back to the banks so that then they can raise the what requirements for you to acquire a loan and re-lend it out to all their buddies and give themselves bonuses. Right. That's, what, that's what I saw happen. I saw the penalties being paid out of the funds that were given to them. You know, it, they, oh, exactly. Fines, right. right. Uh, if... <laughs> It's just been, especially in this climate, it seems better to accept consequence than act ask for permission because you one you might skirt the consequence wholly, in right. which case they're so one hundred yeah you're all ROI set. There, yeah. And then, uh, in the the other hand, like you could delay the time, you could get something done and then delay the time in which you have to pay something, and it could just be the cost of doing business. Like yep. if I made a billion dollars and you find me half of that, I don't know, I made. I made double, so I'm all set. It right. only, it only yeah. cost me some. You're you're part of my, you know, you're part of my profit loss sheet. That's all. <laughs> uh, it's not exactly consequence. Would you? Uh, I'm not. I don't have like a, uh, I don't have like a scarlet letter or anything like that. People don't not do business with me. They so tend I paid to just uh, rebrand or they'll take one of their right. acquisition targets yeah. and then rebrand their name. Shouldn't be something that we uh, allow. Yeah. Uh, the consequences for the, the white-collar criminals should have been to pay back everything they stole plus some. Yeah, uh, not only that, but Yeah, not only that, but rework your networks to help people instead of steal from them. Right. You had people who bet on the crash and then got payouts right. for people going underwater in their mortgages. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be paid for being smart, but you probably shouldn't be paid for undermining systems that hold together the fabric of your culture. That seems asinine. Here, here. So our group comes forward, a uh, massive reworking of the economic foundation. I know Kurt solidly built his whole epistemology through economics and math. Hmm. So I think that's the first foundation he goes after. Uh, totally looks to end the Fed. 
Um, the next one is law. All the foundations of law get reworked. A much better court system, imposition of costs. I think that's a great reestablishment. Obviously, uh, in governance, we have a new propertarian constitution. I would, let's just say, there's the peaceful separation. There'd be a non-imposition of costs from blue states to red states. You'd have to compete in an open market. To, it's interesting. So let's add a little bit more to what does, uh, what does this outcome look like? Is that, I think that's a, a possible one that we could play for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Families get re-strengthened. Oh, got to answer the immigration. Go home or die, right? <laughs> well, there's, there's an. Go fix your country. Maybe that's the better way to say it. Right. Go fix your country. Hopefully, we've shown you how to do it. You should be able to thrive it, in a, in every corner, mm -hmm. of the globe. I don't see why that's, with technology the way that we have it now and communications the way we have it now, there's, there's, very, little, there's very little stopping people from building things up properly. Mm -hmm. And just because uh, there's a disrepair or a, a state of chaos uh, doesn't mean you should export that to other countries. It's like just because your country is in disrepair doesn't mean we owe you a home. Uh, it'd be nice if you could repair your country. Yeah, uh, That would be better for everyone, including you. It would be better for everyone, including you. There's this impressive uh, optimism of that every problem is solvable. I, I think if the ethos of that was maintained, mm -hmm. uh, and it, it diffuses the hatred, uh, which is from sustained anger. And uh, in the research of anger, anger... Uh, it's the I'm right and you're wrong. There's an injustice. We get angry because of an injustice and that we're uh, trying to right a wrong. Uh, I think as we formulate and solidify very clear, decidable, you know, <laughs> mathematically sound, historically, empirically, all the evidence is there. You know, there's no longer even a question of being wrong. It's either people see it and they grok it or they choose not to, you know. They go the arrogant, ignorant route. And for those, you know, it's either, you know, well, well then compete with us. Com try to knock, uh, you know, our truth, truth candidate off of, off of its position with your position, that's fine. And so the, the separation, quote, the peaceful separation, give it a try, guys, see what you can do. We want to take a run at ours. Yeah. I, I, uh, I call propertarianism uh, tongue-in-cheek, uh, fair, fair play fascism. <laughs> the only thing we're fascistic about is adherence to the rules. Don't come into my game and cheat. Right. That's all. And if you cheat, there are consequences for cheating. Right. You can play any game you want. You can disassociate and make your own game. Make sure it doesn't impede on other people's games. Yeah. All we do is keep the rules fair. It's the only thing you should be looking at. Is the playing field level and are the rules being enforced? Right. That's all. Everyone plays by the same set. And you have, uh, everyone has the option to, uh, everyone has the ability to produce and uh, attempt to compete and win. 
I don't see any downside to that. I don't, I don't see downsides to, to holding up the, the arenas as something that's important, the ability to play on a field that isn't tilted for someone else. Uh, the only counter that I would hear, not even mine, would be something around the egalitarian wishful desire for a social safety net. And prior to government handouts and programs of any sort, that's what charity did. That was the strength right. of churches, yep. is that they were the social safety net. And it was also localized. So it's what, you know, if you lived in a neighborhood and you hit on some tough times, it was largely up to the charity of your neighbors to take care of you. There wasn't some government right. program. I like, I like universal basic income as a, a transitional technology. Mm -hmm. In, into something uh, that is dissimilar to consumer markets and uh, the, the type of economies we have now. So the idea behind giving people universal basic income is so they can operate in the consumer market while we dismantle it slowly so we don't need it any longer. Mm -hmm. Because right now the way we get things is, is to buy them and then use them and to be extricated from the consumer market is to not have your needs met. Mm -hmm. So giving everyone uh, X amount of dollars a month so they can play the game that you play in order to keep this whole place afloat until we can retool the game properly around communities where we can then remove the uh, well, training we can wheels. remove the training wheels. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I love that. So we can remove the things that will, were helping you because we've allowed you to create a foundation that's robust for yourself and your family. Uh, I, I, I see that as a way out. It's like. Use, use, our, use our stupidity, which was to measure everything in money mm -hmm. uh, instead of uh, some panoply of measurements that have to do with well-being and, and forward-moving and, and transcending humans, as opposed to GDP, which your GDP can go up and you can bury the people in your systems. Because it doesn't measure for them. It doesn't measure how far they are under the dirt. It just it measures how much money we have, or rather the the product that we that we are able to uh, create and sell, mm -hmm. and it's just uh, it's an improper it's an improper measure. I, I think I want to hit on two more topics uh, hmm. before we wrap up. Um, sure. uh, and these are kind of the tougher ones. I want to do IQ distributions, and I want to do RK, RK reproductive strategies. Okay. So w both are obviously tied together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And. Um, so, so I was having this insight that we could encourage uh, blacks and Hispanics in, in particular that are having larger families and uh, utilizing government resources, because we we're just talking about a universal basic income, they'd probably be the largest recipients of such. Um, how, how and is it even possible to get them to turn to being strong K-type? Because at the, currently, yeah. it's just our type. Well, but they haven't been that way. Because blacks, 1850 to 1950, was their most successful century. 93% yes. success rate of marriage. Okay, uh, uh, Mexicans, Hispanics were largely Catholic, had large families, but they were also, also had high success rates. So what I'm saying is historically, they have, uh, they have done it before. So there could be a conversion process. Nothing, nothing stops those the, the groups of people from competing with each other. 
the, dispar yeah. the disparities in IQ go away when you act cohesively as a group and you create something as that group and you trade with another group. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if your group is two standard deviations dumber than the other one. You're adding value for each other, yeah. so you can do it. It was the forcing together of, of people. It was the, the desegregation that caused all the problems. And it wasn't because we desegregated. It was because we forced the desegregation. Mm -hmm. If desegregation is going to happen, it'll happen on its own accord because people group together in groups that are that are like-minded. They, they they group together in, in, with people that they like, and unless they're constrained not to, or for or forced otherwise, mm -hmm. which they were, all the desegregation worked poorly mm -hmm. uh, because you you pushed in. You have to move from lower class to middle class and then from middle class to upper class if you want to operate inside of their realms. And what we did was move lower class blacks into middle class white neighborhoods and they operate under different ethics. It wasn't even racial, it was class, mm -hmm. uh, at least in those, at least in those uh, instances. Not that there aren't racial disparities that cause uh, conflict when you're um, in close proximity. But a, a lot of that, a lot of the violence is proximity, so cities, and then disparity of wealth. It's having wealthy and poor people in the same spot. So it's relative inequality that causes the violence because the people at the bottom don't see a way to the top of the ladder. Mm -hmm. Whereas if everyone is relatively poor, so there's no, uh, there's no relative inequality in a space, there's not violence, even though, that they're, even though they're poor, because people can see their way to the top of the hierarchy, hmm. uh, it's it's not a hierarchy outside of theirs that they have no, uh, which they have no ability to uh, interject themselves in, where they can't they can't get in and they can't compete. And when you can't get in and you can't compete, you 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 devolve to violence. Right? Hmm. This is my only strategy mm -hmm. to compete in this in in this space because I can't do it. I can't do it within the rules. Mm -hmm. I don't have the I don't have the tools. Or, or even or the the, the ethic, uh, so the the disparities in uh, what is it the the disparities in IQ for for groups uh, it, it's not it's not so much it's not so much a problem if if you allow the groups to create their own create their own value and to and to specialize in the way that they they necessarily will. So create their own packs. Yeah, essentially. And they their own families, their, their own packs. communities. Yeah, don't don't force people together. Don't force people into markets. Disassociation is important. Does that also solve the R strategy, the the rat strategy? Have many children, let them uh, fend for themselves, so to speak. What I'm seeing is that government programs that pay per child are effectively breeding more R type strategy. Yeah, that uh, I don't think there's. I don't think there's any argument against that. That seems obvious. That when you when you pay people to re, when you pay people disproportionately to reproduce, so it becomes financially advantageous for you to add if a you're child. Incentivized, right? It's a line then, in their incentives. Yeah. Then you're, and it's it's not that you're incentivized to take care of extra children. It's Just you can more. get extra children and have you can have extra children, and therefore uh, have more resources at your disposal. Right. It's not it's not a good trade. So certainly in this outcome, this, this uh, big clear picture that we're shooting for, or just painting as a possibility, mm. you know, would have 
solutions for this? I like Colin, well, I think it's Colin Woods, Woodsworth. Mm -hmm. I could have his, his name wrong, but he does the 11 nations of America, something like that. He splits America into regions, and mm -hmm. there's essentially 11 of them. Hmm. Uh, they're, they're relatively, um, they're like, they're temperamentally consistent regions, like hmm. the Northeast and then the South and then the, the left coast and the middle, like he, split, he splits it up. I have the book somewhere around here. Uh, but it seems like something like that, splitting the place up into regions and then splitting those regions up into subcultures would, yeah. be, would be the easy, would be an easy move. With what you're saying is that each region gets to pick their, the rules of the game, you know. They essentially create their own, their own polity. Polity. Uh, you play by these rules or get punished, the consequences. Uh, we could probably we could provide the platform for the do not do these rules that should be implemented everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, if you do not implement these, it's at your own peril, uh, and we may also disassociate from you as one of the regions. So if the uh, California chooses to, you know, twist the rules a bit and make make weird parasitic and lies are okay, mm -hmm. you know, do that at your own peril, so to speak. Yeah, but the, the the brilliance behind uh, maybe brilliance is the wrong word, but uh, even so, the brilliance behind reciprocity and its universi and its universality is incredible. Like it's the measure for it is the measure for morality. Yeah. Uh, because it it measures better than any preconceived set of universal behaviors ever could. Because you can't you can't encapsulate a response to an environment. It's like sometimes the response is violence. Are you willing to categorize that? As a, you can only categorize moral against the situation that yeah. you have. There's no overarching. Uh, there's no overarching morality because it's situationally dependent. I also like to say that you know, in terms of definitions, you've got to have limits. Mm -hmm. It's not always that thing. <laughs> right. There's a limit where, you know, that definition just doesn't apply anymore. And we try to get into these ideals as if under every circumstance it's going to still be that way. That's what I love about the operational aspect. Uh, yeah, you, if you force every force, if you enforce reciprocity in every interaction, small and large, you get morality to emerge. That's what happens. Hmm. Uh, it's an emergent ethic. Uh, rats, dogs, they all have emergent ethics. Mm -hmm. the, you know, smaller rats play bow to larger ones to get them to play, and the larger ones have to lose bouts even though that they can win, even though they can win all of them in order for games to continue. So uh, small rats won't play with big rats that are bullies who yeah. just win every time because there's nothing in it for them. And the big rats understand that it's the playing of the game itself that's the win, because mm -hmm. it's the practicing of the skills. That's uh, it's the practicing of the skills. That's the value added, not the wins themselves. Mm -hmm. The wins are they're transitory. They're they're things that happen. You know, they're uh, that's some that's some feedback, but it's not the game. Mm -hmm. The game is to play the games over and over and over into perpetuity, and have <laughs> and have something uh, have something better emerge from emerge from those interactions. And what emerged through time was our ability to uh, trust each other, 
trust mm. emerged, mm -hmm. and then we were able to operate under that. A lot of the so with with mentioning trust, like a, a lot of the rhetoric people get away with now. For instance, like the non-aggression principle, you only get away with that because you have a landscape of high trust. Right. If you didn't have that landscape of high trust, you'd be talking nonsense. Right. So, if for all intensive purposes, if for all intents and purposes, you're talking nonsense because you're you're basing your rhetoric on something that took millennia to emerge, and you, you could dismantle that emergence by applying your new set of abstract rules. You've taken something off the table that's been on the table forever, forever, and then you expect things to go well in its absence? Mm -hmm. No. It doesn't happen that way. Well, well we, we talked talk about uh, the importance of returning to biological drives yeah. and how yeah, biological those, those are even missing in films today, that we have fictionalized superheroes uh, fighting another you know, super villain of some sort. It's way beyond human scale. It's something we can't even measure or relate to, yet there's enough star-studded uh, CGI to keep us entertained for two, two and a half hours and a ridiculous budget of marketing to seep it into culture, right? Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, it, it, it doesn't move us. It's not primal enough. You gotta have a primal drive and a primal goal. The distortion doesn't hit home for anyone. That right. Captain Marvel movie did poorly, the, the woman hero and the, the, the cliche like woman power pieces of the new Avengers films are, are cringe, they're cringe-worthy. There's nothing biologically driven there. That's right. not the, a woman. So if a woman at her peak is reproducing, and, and we talked about the cognitive load, right, that they actually do want to have it, part of the upset for women, and why they're picking out, you know, a thousand social justice warring uh, projects, is that they don't have the six to ten children of which they're mindfully attending to all their needs, wants, desires, favorite foods, you know, uh, bad habits, patterns that they're creating, trajectories for who they're going to become in their life. That is a huge reward, both in the circuitry and the uh, biology of women. I watch it in my field because there are women, ch childless women, who treat their dogs as children. Mm -hmm. and they do so be because they're misplacing their motherly drive. Mm -hmm. And it ruins the dogs. Because your, your dog's not a child. It has to be treated like a dog. And if you treat it like a child, it'll act like an ass. Because that's what <laughs> dog... You'll create a monster because that's what you'll do. Uh, they, also, um, they also push that motherly instinct onto anything that looks like it's disenfranchised as if it were their child being disenfranchised. So they treat minorities as if they were children. Right. When you when you treat adults with uh, what child gloves, kid gloves on, mm -hmm. you don't get anything good. You don't get anything good out of them. Mm -hmm. You you can't tell them that they're um, you can't tell them that they're oppressed and special, and that you'll protect them because they'll expect that. Mm -hmm. You don't have the resources to do that, and you're the wrong. They're the wrong subset of people who are going to protect them. It's like you come here, and we'll have all our men protect you, and if they don't, we'll be mad at them. How's that going to work out for you? It's not. It's not going to work out. Mm -hmm. You're not bearing the responsibility of the, the costs that you're imposing. You're imposing all these costs, and you want to impose all these costs, and you're, you're, you're forcing the issue, and then you're not paying. That's, uh, it's irreciprocal at its core. 
right. passing the costs on to everyone else, immoral. And you've added that it's, they are largely able to do this because the massive amount of beta males. We've, oh, killed, back, we've yeah, we killed off our alpha males from Civil War, World War I, and World War II. Our alpha males are largely... We've denigrated, we've denigrated everything masculine. We call it toxic now to right. be you know, forceful about anything. Uh, the way people got things done were to tell other people what to do because someone else knew better. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and when you know better and you're in charge, it's your job to tell other people what to do because you know better. Mm -hmm. Because things will go better for people following your directions. It's why you don't let children decide things. It's because they're children and they don't have the experience to make good decisions in the long run. They haven't even lived long enough to be considered a long run yet. Well, I think women would lean to that because the hope of their intuitive guidance is right on. So that the <laughs> child's intuitive guidance is right on. Of course, honey, you, you got it. But, you know, that no, is it's, fool's uh, play. Right. There... But because, I mean, it, it sounds terrible, but you have to look at it from a biological standpoint. It's like you didn't have the pill till you were, till we were in, what, the 1960s or so. So you weren't able to control your reproduction, so you were always with infant. If you were a sexually active female who could reproduce mm -hmm. and you were married, uh, but then you were with, you were with child, mm -hmm. which means you had to be attending to something that, that truly needs you to appease its intuition. Like mm -hmm. infant children, if it's crying, you have to do something because right. it's not going to do anything for itself because it's a helpless blob of a thing until it's like a bunch of years old. You know, <laughs> yeah. it, it takes an enormous amount of investment and sacrifice on your behalf to appease that little thing. Yeah. But once it becomes something with some, uh, what is it like? Agency. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're aware of their mind and, and yours. Then you have to teach them to get along in a group, and mm -hmm. that's where men are supposed to come in. It's like, the group will punish you if you act like that. Your mother might not, but we're going to. Yeah, yeah. it's just, it's an unacceptable way to be uh, when, you're, when you're acting among us, because we do serious things, and for you to act outside of that realm creates danger for the rest of us. But certainly lies, uh, telling falsities to the group could get your ass whooped. Mm -hmm. um, there was a thing I read about so you have the braggadocious uh, friend who's kind of, you know, talk, talking shit to the other guys. You know, there's a line where if, if they pick a fight that they can't even win, now they've dragged you or our group into hazard. Mm -hmm. And so you want their ass like, hey, you know, don't fucking start shit that we can't finish. You know, you're fighting above your weight class right now. Right, right. <laughs> a very similar thing for a small guy like me. You, you have to know. You have to know the advantage that comes with being with being physically outmatched, with being outmatched. Yeah. And if if you don't understand that you're at a disadvantage by being physically uh, unmatched, you, you're you're going to catch a beating from right. someone at some point because there's nothing you can do about it. Someone will dole one out to you, and yeah. you don't you don't have the ability to stop it. Uh, it's it's really why. Uh, it's really why I love the combat sports. If you're not a man who has been manhandled at some point in their life, been helpless at the hands of another man, then you don't understand what it's like to be helpless. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, I, know, I know plenty plenty of people who are so physically capable that they could, uh, they could dismantle me physically at a, at a whim. I have to trust that they don't do that. Mm -hmm. and I, it's, it's, my, it's my job not to set them off. Uh, even if they're in the wrong, even if they're in the wrong at the at the moment, like 
you, you, have, to, you have to play a role that won't get you hurt. Mm. Uh, we, we've lost that. Well, I don't even know if... We, we, enc we encourage women to punch, to punch up and, mm. and outside of their domain of competence. Sure. And uh, Bill Burr always has me in hysterics because he, <laughs> he goes back to... He goes, well, people say there's no reason to hit a woman. He goes, there's plenty of reasons. There's always a reason. You just don't do it. Yeah. And that's the difference. <laughs> it's not that there's no reason. It's that you should have the discipline not to act on those reasons. Right. Because you're the, one, you're, the one with the, uh, you're the one with the physical ability. You're the, you're the one who, who wields all the power. It's your job to keep it in check. Mm -hmm. With that power comes your responsibility to check it. Right. And if you, if you don't, you're not in control of yourself. I get pretty excited about seeing a woman's role. You could call it return to tradition, which we were mentioning earlier. This young generation Z is uh, throwing away the garbage hedonism. Fundamentally, though, do they get why it's powerful, why it's worked for so long? Um, this I'm not sure. Yeah, this biological drive and how uh, women's cognitive load with having more children. Uh, so I get excited about how women who return to tra tradition newly, right? I'm, I'm saying with the wisdom that the other way didn't work. Right. That the grass was not greener on the other side. Yeah, we tried it. Not in a... We went there. Yeah, not in a uh, fundamentalist, like, you know. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, I, I like it. Well, here's, here's the reason. Here's another reason why I like... The, the shift back as you describe it. Uh, and it, it has nothing to do with anything other than we can't have children. I can't carry a child and <laughs> make one. You're stuck in that role because of biology. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not, firstly, I'm not willing to take blame for that. Like, you can't lay that at my feet mm -hmm. uh, that I'm a man and you're a woman. And if you're not going to have children and you're going to play men's roles, What's everyone else to do? Mm -hmm. yeah. And where's the future going to come from? Right. Look, I'm for technology moving forward, but I'm skeptical of what designer babies and external wombs. Like, yeah. We haven't tested those things right. out yet. It's still on the shoulders of women to bear children because they're trapped in that position. I'm willing to sympathize with them, but it's not exactly... Uh, it's not exactly something to be sympathetic about. It's a, a privilege to be able to create life. Mm -hmm. it, it has to be viewed that way because you're the only one who you were gifted that ability. You were gifted the, you were gifted meaning in your biology, which mm -hmm. is not something men can say. We have to go out and put ourselves at risk to be seen as valuable. Where you're born into value. Right. Uh, I, I like someone said that. Women are born rich and die poor, and men are born poor and die rich. Hmm. So we accumulate wealth throughout life, and women lose everything that makes them uh, what worthwhile to mates as they age. Hmm. So they're born with chastity and beauty, you know, and they they grow into their, and then that fades. Mm -hmm. uh, but men, we are born helpless and moronic and idiotic, and we're shaped into something that can garner wealth. Uh, throughout its life and become of value, but right. it's not—it's not—it's not gifted to us. Right. And we're completely different biological platforms, and the the 
the push to converge male and female, which we're seeing now in the transgender movement, and you know we can only have ads for uh, non-sexually correspondent job positions, and you know uh, we're going to praise men for opining over their emotions and we're going to tell women that it's okay to be bossy and and bitchy even though that's not your role like those are all mistakes oh, and, and don't slut shame me right yeah. yeah and and ruin ruin your ruin your sexual market value for some uh, I don't know bragging rights yeah like spitting in the face of, of biology and tradition it doesn't well, seem worth it to pr pr uh, it's, it's status signaling, you know, like if, if, if you've had these, then you're desirable, I guess. But I also, uh, monogamy, despite like pair bonding as such, uh, it, it, takes, it takes discipline to do it in the way that we've done it. Mm -hmm. uh, like marriage and culture is, is a good book, you know, that it, it shows, it shows the, the disciplined emergence of uh, marriage and pair bonding and how it balances, how it creates a Nash equilibrium and balances out the uh, aggressive tendencies of men. It's like if people were, uh, if we were to just operate in the sexual marketplace without creating uh, the, the type of pair bonding that we do in disciplined societies, mm -hmm. few men would reap all of the benefits that come from women. Meaning we would some men would clean it up, the chats, and then there would be a bunch of incels <laughs> yeah. who were violent. And that's the world that we're heading for. 80% yeah. of the women on Tinder sleep with 20% of the men. Mm. Because it's the top 20% of the men that have rack up the pussy profiles. Mm. Yeah, you project yourself as a, I, want, I saw some, um, what like parody Tinder accounts, and they'll put a male model type guy on the account, and then write something outrageous, like right. I just got out of jail for molesting, you know, a 13-year-old child or whatever. And then they'll show you all the responses for yeah, I, yeah, I think it's I'll right. yeah, I'll still sleep with you. Yeah, you swiping oh. whatever way you swipe to to hook up. Yeah, just it, it's out of control. Well, and tied to that, that men view women relatively equal, like in terms yes. of level of traction, it wasn't so slammed. It was like perfect parity, basically. 50% of the women were seen as attractive, 50% unattractive. Right. It wasn't like in women view men, 20% attractive, everybody else garbage. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, would that, would that change in the outcome that we're looking at? I mean, is this, is this near future that we paint uh, the value and incentives have now shifted for women. Maybe they will start to pick up the parity. Or do you think that is more of a biological drive? They're going to always seek the Chad. <laughs> uh, I, th I think there. I think there can be, and I, I'm not sure of this. Maybe it's an 80-20, 20 yeah, percent. Well, of just it just seems as as you approach like the higher echelon. So I would say that like the nobility. Mm -hmm. can, can have looser norms around sexuality. I watched an interview with um, Jeffrey Miller. He's an evolutionary psychologist, and he's also polyamorous, uh, but he's super smart and, and logical and contractual about his relationships. 
So I think some people with a, a certain amount of IQ and I think it's also imperative to understand human biology mm -hmm. and how it is you what crave the flesh of another. Mm -hmm. uh, Camille Pellia calls sex the, the intersection of culture and nature. Hmm. Uh, so I, I think in the higher, like we can balance those things. But as you move down in the classes, like I, I think the lower, the, the lower and middle class needs something like monogamy to hold, to hold them in place, hmm. to, to, to distribute sex evenly among men, to quell the violence that's there, and to create the type of self-discipline that's necessary to create a better world for children, mm -hmm. because that's what we're aiming to do. Oh, or rather, that's what we should be aiming to do, because that's literally, the, if you're not caring for the future, it won't, it won't emerge in a, a pleasant fashion. I'm not sure polyamorous people take kindly to children. Uh, some of them probably might not. I, I don't know many, and I don't, I, think I, they I don't know if they're... They have large intergenerational transfer they might. Families. They might not. Yeah. They might not. Well, well, I mean, the... I could, I suppose, have my terms mixed up, but I believe the Mormons are polyamorous. Uh, I mean, they, they take on... They did the many wives thing, at least polygamy? that's previously. Yeah, I believe polygamy. I'm pretty sure they still do that. That served a population purpose, but uh, anyway, yeah, I, I, I get it. I, uh, I think in particular for white Northern Europeans, uh, it's more important that we get going on the families. It, it's a necessity. Yeah. It's a necessity. Where you learn to love, where you learn to bond. Also in that, that uh, parable or story uh, of the woman who is given the gift and loses it, I think the only thing that would balance that out is to see of how much a gift uh, of her children, like that reward, what she, she lives on through her. And, yes. and literally we live on through our genes. So then, then at that degree she's immortal and males are immortal. Yeah, other than, digital, other than digital legacy now. Right, you you live on, and your 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 digital self lives on. I suppose yeah, your genes your genes are the living you in the future. Yeah, when you die, those are the things that supplant you. So I was going the direction of immigration and RK strategies, and I'm glad that we kind of opened all this because it gives even a clearer picture for the type of outcome in terms of a via positiva and painting a picture of, hey, what would it look like in a best case scenario. Uh, I, I, like I said before, I love near-term science fiction because we're effectively writing into our own future and we have a chance to live into it. Mm -hmm. um, I also particularly like this resurgent of a, a, a neo-traditionalist uh, woman who rises uh, and sees not just the writing on the wall, makes clear not the noise versus the signal gets real clear on the signal, and, uh, and boy, they could add a lot to the healing and to the movement. Yeah. Yes. All right, well, I think we clipped the two-hour mark. Probably. I think we covered a lot. We did. Well done. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs>